Thank you so much for coming on the show today, Jolene. Thank you for having me. So we were just talking and I was telling you how honored and excited I am to have you here because so many of the women that listen to this podcast and the women that I work with are on the roller coaster that you talk about between sugar and alcohol and cravings. And they don't realize that many of these things can actually be physiological reasons. So really melding the body, the mind, and the spirit and looking at it from that perspective was something that really appealed to me about your work. So I would love if you could, um, I always start with a big question, which you can kind of take it where you want to go, which is what you do now and how you got to where you are today. Yeah, the, the big winding road with that. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so what I do now is I work one-on-one uh, with high-achieving women, uh, professional women who are rethinking their drinking and, and alcohol. And many have a very similar story. You know, our initial conversations, they will often say, and this was me as well, um, they'll say, you know, nothing external necessarily bad happened. Um, with drinking, like, for example, a DUI, you know, that's Mm -hmm. something a lot of people might attach to. Um, However, internally, there's been years of this, I don't want to drink too much tonight. I drank too much tonight. (laughs) And then and then that, you know, wake up at three in the morning, not being able to sleep, kind of that racing heart, sweating, sweating, you know, (laughs) the, the, the ruminating mind of like, I can't keep doing this. And then the next night or the next weekend doing it again. Mm -hmm. And, and that was very much me as a functional nutritionist. I certified in nutrition in, in 1999. And, um, even part of just my wellness industry, I was working in corporate wellness and, you know, my colleagues were other wellness directors at, at other companies. And, and I would go to functional medicine training conferences on the weekends and, um, you know, hear about red wine is good for the heart and, you know, those components and, and very much into whole food in my training and going out at these conference dinners and, you know, kind of the very much about eating good protein for good amino acids, but then like a good glass of red wine with it. And so it was, um, glorified, you know, even within the work that I do and then was sliding under the radar in the wellness profession of, you know, going out and we're drinking more than a glass of red wine. Yes. (laughs) And then that was also the case with my social group, Um, single in my late 30s as an entrepreneur. And, you know, my social circle, very similar. I had lots of friends who also single. It's a bit of that sex in the city. Totally. (laughs) Yes. Kind of thing. And, And going out and very much about the foodie restaurants and the girls night out. And it just was, this is what we do. And it's what a lot of women do. But it was heavy drinking, yes. you know, and so for years, and it really was years through my 30s, there was a lot of back and forth of I, you know, and a part of my story is anxiety. Um, mm. It was an anxious child and that carried through as, you know, an entrepreneur, as a business owner wanting to achieve, wanting everything to go right and worrying whether it was work or relationships and that anxiety, kind of that ruminating thinking. And so it wouldn't even be that like it was a bad day necessarily, but just needing to come down from the day. Mm -hmm. Um, I'll go home and have a glass of wine oh, I had that glass, screw it, I'm going to have another. (laughs) Like I already did it, so I might as well. Right, and you know, 
not having wine in my system, I'm like, I'm only going to have one. But then I would drink that one glass either out and I'd be like, ah, sure, I'll have another. I'd order another or I'll pour another at home. And it was very easy, um, you know, as the years went on to just drink the whole bottle and really not even as the, I mean, really at the very beginning as well. But then I'd have kind of long periods where, you know, maybe a whole week would go by or weeks, and, but then it would be like, I drink the whole bottle again. So kind of these binge episodes. Mm-hmm. And, and then I'd say, I can't keep doing this because I'd feel so awful the next morning. I, I just couldn't metabolize the alcohol. It'd make me more anxious. I felt queasy and nauseated and, and would hide that. That's mm-hmm. what I actually hid was how I felt the next day. Because my drinking, you know, and then it, did, it didn't look necessarily out of control. Like I was just having drink after drink after drink after drink. But, you know, two to four glasses and then felt sick and nauseous the next day. And I would hide that. I'd be in business meetings. I'd mm. be doing nutrition consults with clients and had had, you know, too much wine and would, would you know, hide how kind of nauseated I felt. And I was like, I can't keep doing this. And then I would stop. And then I'd go a couple months and be like, why am I being so, I don't need to be so black or white. Like yes. I can have a glass of wine. So then I'd go back and have it, and very quickly, you know, it wasn't just a glass. And so I did that back and forth for years um, and didn't really talk about it. I would Google, you know, alcohol memoirs on Amazon yes. on Saturday morning when uh-huh. I'm in bed feeling awful, and, but no, didn't really talk about it. And so four years ago, um, it was kind of my last stop. And I had had many 30 days three months, I did 18 months at one point. And I just, after all those stops, it was like, it never changes. And I don't want to keep doing this back and forth. And, and so I, I quit and I, and I knew what I was kind of signing up for. It's like, there's going to be weddings. There will be hard times. There will be vacations. I'm, I'm done. It's just, I, you know, whatever happens good or bad for me, alcohol's not an option anymore. I don't want to keep doing this groundhog day. And I, and I quit December 14th, 2014. I haven't had a drink since. And about a year into Congrats, it. Congrats, by the way. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> about a year into it, I was quiet about it, you know, because a lot of my drinking was alone at night on the couch, a couple glasses of wine. And then my when I quit, it, it was quiet as well. Um, so I, you know, I say a lot of it, I drank alone at times and I quit alone. But mm-hmm. after kind of the first year, um, I started talking more because as a nutritionist, um, really loving functional nutrition and and neurotransmitters and brain chemistry that I had learned in these functional medicine conferences, I used a lot of that when I quit drinking. We can talk about, we can go into that more. And so Mm -hmm. I started writing more blog posts and um, did some interviews and ultimately did a TED Talk on it last year. And the more I've been out speaking about it, the more women, high achieving professional women who are saying, I'm also an entrepreneur. I'm also a coach, a therapist, a nurse, a nutritionist. Um, a lot of my clients are in the healthcare industry saying, I identify with your story. This is the same thing. Mm-hmm. I'm drinking wine at night to wind down, and then I go interact with my clients and patients the next day. Um, but also, you know, professional, high-achieving attorneys and women who um, just balancing it all. And it's been very accepted, kind of the mommy, the mommy wine, the, yes. the culture, the, um, the girls' night out. And again, externally, it just it looks like how many, many women drink. But internally, I'm finding many, many women struggle and don't yes. want to drink at this level and try then to pull back. And they're like, why can't I not drink, at, you know, just a couple, but I drink way more than I want to. And 
not everyone struggles with that, but there are a lot that do. And it's been a real silent conversation that hasn't really been exposed and hasn't been talked about. And finding really in the last kind of three to five years, there's this whole kind of movement now that's not necessarily this end stage, we put a label on it, that's going to treatment or even a 12 step, some do, some don't. But it, we, I call it the gray area. It's yes. somewhere between that everything just crashes and burns because of alcohol. That's not the population I work with, but it's also not the population that has a drink a couple times a year. Yes. <laughs> it's, it's this area between those two extremes, which is how, when we look around, most people are, are drinking. Yes, most people. And you figure that out too uh, when you stop drinking as well, how much it's infused into our society and everything. Um, that moment that you decided to quit, was there something different about that moment that was um, you know, different than the other times? What was it in that moment that was like, all right, I'm done? It's a really good question. I, I think it was because I'd had so many other moments. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah. that, that came to that, it was the experience there. Um, and this is a characteristic of this gray area drinking that I talk about is, um, it's a lot of back and forth of, I can't do this anymore. I went three months. I felt really great. Well, why am I doing, why am I being so restrictive? I can go back and drink, go back and drink for the rest of the year for another year and a half. And then it's that same point of, I can't keep doing this. It's the same groundhog day. And because I had done that so many times, that point, December 14th, I, and I drank pretty much every day that week. Mm -hmm. It was, you know, coming into the Christmas holidays. Um, and I didn't, you know, that Saturday that I drank, it, it wasn't a lot. It was kind of my pattern of four drinks, mm -hmm. but felt sick again until Tuesday. Yes, yes, <laughs> um, common. Because, I, because it, again, it had been an accumulation of drinking every day, you mm -hmm. know. Uh, um, and... But, you know, the next day and the day after, it was just this real kind of um, conversation with myself that was very different of, this is it. This yeah. is this. And I would go through then the scenarios of, what about the romantic vacation? You know, I'm not, I wasn't dating anybody at the time, but yes. what about Italy and, and wine? It's like, I'm done. Yeah. And I, I went through that in my, in my mind of what about the 3 a.m. phone call that, you know, something awful happens. Like what if I, it, it's that kind of wanting to numb and, yes. and you know, so block common. It. Mm -hmm. what, am I really going to go through, I mean, God forbid something and, and not kind of, will I be able to not reach for wine? And it was like, this is no, this is yeah. it. No matter what happens. And I said, I was saying this to myself good or bad in the future and good and bad things will happen. And they did happen and they do happen. Alcohol is not an option. And I just didn't, I don't want to go back on that merry-go-round because it doesn't change. Yes. It's same groundhog day. And I had enough experience of knowing this is it. I just can't, I don't want to continue. I was 43 years old. I don't want to go continue through my forties into my fifties. Um, I knew about the breast cancer connection mm -hmm. at that point. Um, it was, pre-Uber, you know, yeah. there were times where, and again, it wasn't blackout bottles and bottles of wine. Not rock bottom or anything like that. But if I would have been stopped in my car after, yes. yeah. you know, two, three glasses, and I would think about those things. And so I just felt like I was um, playing on borrowed time a little bit with some health things, with, with something potentially like, you know, uh, with a car 
um, accident or DUI. And I just, I was like, I can't push this anymore. And um, I think just all of that is what has kept me going of, I don't want to drink again. Yes. And it's so powerful when you sort of make that decision because it's almost easier to not drink than to do moderation for a lot of people. And um, that's certainly the case for me. Yes. It's, it's a lot of mental gymnastics of, am I going to drink tonight? How much am I going to drink? Oh, screw it. I had a glass. You know, it, it's yes. a lot of where if it, once the decision's made, the decision's made. Exactly. And it doesn't mean that things aren't hard, that life yes. doesn't Such a good you point. Know, yes. hit you. Yes. That, so it, it's not a protection or guarantee that, you know, your life is going to be easy. Um, that's not the case. Taking alcohol out is taking alcohol out. But then you still have to deal with, you know, um, everything else. But with a real clear and present um, kind of presence, which yes. has been a really welcome thing yes. to, to have in my life and not be kind of on that anxiety numbing um, roller coaster. And I feel like that's something that, like you said, is sort of glorified in our society. Um, you know, it's sort of joked about like, oh, just eat an entire cake or have a whole bottle of wine or just scroll Instagram for hours on end. Um, when it's something that lots of women go through all the time and lots of people go through. And I love your sort of approach to doing something different, which I would love to get into later. But when your clients come to you, do you suggest that all of them quit drinking? Do you suggest that some of them do moderation? Is it a personal thing? Is it like a every case is different sort of scenario? Because a lot of people come to me and they ask me that, like, should I just stop forever? And to me, I think it's individual, but um, I'm curious as to what you think about that and sort of like the prescriptions that you give uh, the women that come to you. Yeah, I work with people and, you know, I'm not an addiction therapist. Mm -hmm. um, and don't want to be. So I, I'm a health coach, a functional nutritionist, and um, I've done training in somatic yoga. So I've gone mm. through a somatic yoga teacher training, working with the nervous system, nervous system regulation. So I coach along those principles of really working with the body and helping the body recalibrate and rebuild and replenish after it's been depleted um, with a lot of stress, with a lot of alcohol um, or sugar and things. But, you know, my piece is... It, um, if you're not able to stop drinking through coaching and farther down the spectrum, I'm probably not the coach for you. Yeah. Um, you know, there's other, so, so there's that caveat. Mm -hmm. Um, so, you know, what I say to clients is take the full benefit of the coaching time to not have alcohol in your brain, in your body and, um, and go through some experiences, some events, because it can be a real push and pull. We're, we're working on recalibrating, you know, again, bringing that stress response down, helping you sleep better, um, helping bring your energy up. And if it's the push and pull of drinking and then doing some of the practices, you just get more benefit by not having the alcohol in the system. And, you know, I say to clients, look at it as a curiosity experiment because mm -hmm. there is often, you know, some people will come to me saying, this is it. Like, I've gone through this enough. Um, and I'm at the point where they, where I was December 14th, 2014. And they're like, I'm done. And I know I'm done. And I want the coaching through the early days and early weeks. Some of my other clients will come and they're like, this isn't working. I, I can't keep drinking the way I'm drinking, but I don't know about the forever piece. Yeah, I yeah. can't really wrap my head around right now. And, the, and I say, that's okay. Let's just look at this as a curiosity thing. So let's see how you feel for a month, three months. Um, 
and you know working on some of the again the nutrition pieces the mind body pieces and you can make the decision about the alcohol later but it's not a lifetime commitment so that's how i i work with people people who come to me though i i mean it's my coaching is very much gray area drinking coaching so mm-hmm. so people have you know they've generally had years yes <laughs> of, of this you know drinking of the back and I, forth right right so it's it's at a level of you know, it's probably better served to not keep the alcohol in, but ultimately they're making that decision, not me. Yeah. Okay. I love that. Um, when it comes to women as well, I know that I experienced this for years and years. And as I was telling you before, I wouldn't consider myself completely sober, but I drink maybe twice a year, if anything, like one thing and I'm done, like in times of celebration or something. But I always sort of reevaluate, like, I could probably stop doing this forever because I do feel better without it. Um, But sort of having like the alcohol, the sugar, the processed foods and sort of like staying in that cycle for years of going back and forth and quitting and trying to do moderation and stuff. And it just wasn't working for me. And when I began to read about the physiological things that happen in my brain and body, I was really astounded and had a lot of compassion for myself because it really wasn't my fault. And it isn't the women's fault out there who experience this roller coaster of ups and downs and feeling pulled towards the substance that isn't serving them. So I would love if you could go over sort of the framework that you have of what happens in the body when we ingest sugar, alcohol, and these things that just make us want more and maybe don't serve us um, for our, you know, to be our best selves. Yeah, well, first of all, I love that you found compassion for yourself, yes. and um, that's very much where I come from, and what I've what I've found has, has been something that's helped me, as opposed to, you know, beating ourselves up, constant, like, deprivation. Yes. It doesn't work for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's not, it's not how I, it's not what I believe, and, mm-hmm. and how I work with others, but um, yeah, I look at it first very much about the physiology, and the physiology is fascinating. So again, my foundation and training is functional nutrition and really understanding the body. And um, so from a craving perspective, from the physical level, first and foremost, you know, there's things like blood sugar um, just right out of the gate. And so when our blood sugar is spiked and it goes up and it goes down, we we feel shaky, we feel irritable, Um, you know, mentally, physically, we don't feel good. And it doesn't feel good to not feel good. So coming off of, a, of you know, a night of drinking or eating a lot of sugar, we're in a blood sugar swing, plain and simple. Like we'll talk about the emotional stuff in a minute, but blood sugar swings can then feel very emotional. But if we go in and work on stabilizing that physiology first and foremost, it can often take care of a lot of the emotional piece without you know, as a side there. effect. Yeah. Yeah. As a side effect. So, you know, our, our body is really, it's connected to the mind, not the other way around. We, you know, we've thought traditionally, like if I just like analyze and figure it out, then I can, you know, get my body in line. And it's really the other way around. If we start working with the body, the mind starts to feel better. So blood sugar, just right out of the gate, which I, you know, I'm sure you, you work with very mm-hmm. much. Um, and then hormones, so things like the, you know, the thyroid hormone is the master switch of um, sleep and metabolism. And, and so many women that I work with in their 30s and 40s, um, the biggest complaint is fatigue, you know, in a, their insomnia, um, anxiety. 
And yeah, it can be because of emotional things that are going on in our life, but it can also be the hormone response with the thyroid, with our sex hormones. And then our hormones are very connected to the brain chemicals. So our serotonin, our dopamine, our GABA, and I mean, I work a lot with that, um, with myself, with clients, and you know, I myself have low GABA. So GABA is when it's low, we just feel more anxious. Mm-hmm. And I know that I was using alcohol because that first glass of wine gives that kind of initial feeling of like, oh, my GABA when yes. it's that relaxing. It's like, oh, like, it's awesome. You can wait all day just for that moment, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, and that is that feels like adequate GABA. It's not, though, and it actually depletes GABA more. Then we feel more anxious, and then we crave the wine because our GABA is low, not because our willpower is low. Yes, such a good point. <laughs> or we need yes. to do something psychologically. It's physiology. So when GABA is low and serotonin is connected with depression and alcohol is a depressant, so you know some people will self-medicate that way. Uh, they just feel low, especially in the wintertime. Um, you know, it's kind of the blues and lethargic and it's serotonin's low. And um, going with the nutrition component, there's actually more of those receptors for serotonin and GABA in our intestinal lining, in our GI tract, than there are in the brain. So that GI tract is saying, feed these receptors. Get, give, we want to, you know, give that GABA receptor a boost. Give that serotonin receptor a boost. And um, so the body's really smart. Mm-hmm. And so we crave what we need. It's not the exact match. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It, or the remedy for it. it right. It's, it's not kind of the healthiest, mm-hmm. but it gives us that kind of false positive of who that feels like a GABA boost. It feels like a serotonin boost short term. So, so I work a lot with that of looking what potentially might be depleted and deficient. It, you know, B12, we make that in the, the um, again, the GI tract. Mm-hmm. When we're eating a lot of sugar, drinking a lot of alcohol, it depletes a lot of B12. We feel more tired. We feel more depressed when B12 is low. Magnesium also gets depleted. So looking at just, you know, the simple vitamins and minerals, um, our kind of blood sugar response, our hormones. And uh, again, these things get depleted, hormones, neurotransmitters, the more we drink. So it's a vicious cycle. Yes. Um, so I start there, but then I also look at the emotions and the energetic side. But mm-hmm. I'll stop with the physiology if you, we can talk more if you. <laughs> I would love to go into the emotions and uh, into the emotional stuff if, you, if you're willing to go into that. Absolutely. So for me, you know, it's body, mind, spirit, Mm -hmm. um, which we all know and and have all heard. Um, I just I think we miss the mark a lot as practitioners, as coaches um, in the healthcare industry of forgetting that, you know, some people just work with the body. I think the body's fascinating. But now we have to look at the mind and the emotions and the energetic system. Some people just work with the emotions and the mind, which uh, I'll talk about that right now, mm-hmm. but then forget about the body. And so I think it's it's a trifecta of, and totally. it depends on the time of year. It depends on where you are just in your story and your history. For some people starting right with the emotions, that's the place. For others, it's starting with the physiology. So when I work with clients, I really look at their whole history um, to start understanding their stress response, their patterns, their habits, and, and then work with them it, kind of intuitively where they want to begin. Mm. Um, so that's the physiology. The emotional side is um, also physiology of the stress response. So we all have three options when we're stressed. We can flee, we can fight, or we can freeze. 
And the flea is kind of that on switch, that anxious, hypervigilant, always kind of, you know, what's what's going to happen? Yeah, what's in the coming? Yeah, what's coming? Yeah. Right? What's shifting? Uh, it's hard to just kind of like settle and ground and exhale because I've always got to be hypervigilant. And that's a bit of my, that's that anxious physiology that I'm very used to. Sugar and alcohol calm that down. Yeah. Um, so it's then learning some of the, you know, the components of how do we turn that off switch off, bring it down to baseline without kind of that outside chemical or substance. They work. I mean, we can't initially short term. It sets us up long term for more, more of the same of that craving. But, um, but a lot of us just haven't, we haven't had the model for it. We haven't had training. We haven't been given the resources of when we run on kind of that, we're always fleeing. Um, we're always like, we got to move and keep, it doesn't, you know, the body has to, we, we're active, we need to rest. And so mm -hmm. then it's learning those resources. Um, and then, you know, the fight component of just, you know, always, it could be that rage, that emotion, um, always ready to fight. Um, or freeze, which could be a little bit more of that depression. So it's mm -hmm. kind of those components. And then there, there's real practical regulating ways. And this is where my somatic work and somatic yoga comes in. Somatic means body. Mm -hmm. So this is where the rubber meets the road of we all know about, you know, meditation and, and breathing techniques. And, but there, there's, we can really see and start to link how that starts to change the physiology. Like we're not just doing a meditation because it's the latest thing that everybody's talking about on Instagram and it's trendy. Yeah. It's yeah. like, no, this actually changes the brainwaves. It actually, you know, the muscles in our body can start to relax and then send the message up the spinal cord saying, we're okay right now. Like there's not a bear, you know, yes. an immediate threat coming through the door. So it's retraining the nervous system, which we were never trained to do really in a lot of the environments we grew up in and things of now training the nervous system how to regulate itself and how to discharge the tension and the stress that we've been reaching to alcohol or, or sugar. Because when we don't feel grounded, eating sugar makes it, we feel lethargic and heavy and there's kind of that grounding component. But there's other ways to do that um, that have you know, long lasting effects to kind of ground our body and, and orient us into present time. So I work a lot with clients on that. And then there's you know, the energetic side of things. So whether it's acupuncture or body work where you're working on the energy in, in the body mm -hmm. um, because energy can be moving too quickly or it can be stuck. And that's therapies like EMDR or tapping, which mm -hmm. sometimes people do, because we can get stuck in those energy loops with those patterns and habits. Of we just do the same loop and do the same loop and do the same loop. So we can balance our blood sugar and learn how to kind of regulate our nervous system with our breath and those kinds of things. But if we're in an energetic loop, that's going to override the physical and the emotional. So I, I'm always looking at all three of like, where's that habit loop? Where's the energy going or not going? How are we, um, what's kind of our habitual um, stress response with that fight, flight, freeze? And how can we relearn how to regulate that? And then how can we come in and balance some of our physiology? And, and that's what the body's craving. <laughs> yeah, balance, yes, yes. Right. It's and sometimes, craving. 
sometimes with sugar and alcohol, they give us that like extreme, you know, that like super high. And that is a lot more appealing to us, especially like we're in, when we're in a moment that we want to numb, sort of like numb completely instead of just taking a breath which right. can be so powerful. And it's so, I think people um, don't believe it because they're like, can it really be that simple just to do something? Um, but to a lot of people, it's much more like sexy and shiny and appealing to have that glass of wine or the sugar to sort of rev them up, um, which ultimately can take them out of balance eventually. Yeah. And so what you're speaking to there is kind of that freeze component. Mm -hmm. So some of us, the way we deal with, with, um, stress is we just, we freeze. Yes. We're still going through the motions we're going through, but, um, we're not necessarily kind of discharging it. And then it's like that we need that activation. We need that rush that I'm going to bungee jump or, you know, um, and alcohol can do that. Sugar can do that. It's like I'm kind of frozen and just numb and going through the motions. And then all of a sudden this just we need that activated. Um, it lights us up. Whereas other people, this was me, use alcohol and sugar to bring us down. Mm. Like we're, we're always yes. on and in that hypervigilant mode. And neither is it's just interesting. Yes. Like um, it's, it's just like our we all have different constitutions. And so it's just interesting what our constitution is, how we physiologically deal with stress. And again, no shame, no blame. This is where the, it's, it's actually interesting to me more than like, oh, we need to beat ourselves up. It's like, how fascinating that this is what my body's been doing to just try to keep things at baseline. It's beautiful. It it really is. And it's just kind of this cool thing of like, oh, when we have other options and when we know something different, we do something different, but we just have not in our culture been given resources, let alone talk about this. <laughs> exactly. And that's, yeah, that's why I and, get so excited about all so, of it. And everybody feels dysregulated. I mean, all you have to do is, you know, whatever the latest kind of media thing is or whatever's, you know, just our lives. And it's not that you're weak because of that, just living in the modern day world. It's dysregulating. It's yes. anxiety provoking. But then it's about how do we, what are some tools and resources to help our body? Because our body's amazing. Um, and then incredible. giving the resources, but not be, you know, beating ourselves up about that. That's, you know, yes. Which the is, opposite. Yes. <laughs> which is the norm, to- which is the norm for most women, I think, is to be like, oh, here we go again. I'm the worst. And then sort of believing that about themselves and then proving that to themselves because they can't, you know, control, I'm putting quotes on control themselves with their willpower um, and stuff like that. But that's why I'm so passionate about, you know, your work and, and this work about the body and the brain and certain things that we take in because once we understand it, we can be like, oh, this is <laughs> this is why these things are happening. Um, and I actually remember the last time, because I was in that back and forth for a really long time with alcohol. I was a big drinker in college, probably drinking five days per week. That was my norm. And thinking that people who didn't drink were super boring. Um, And sort of having that as my only fun for a really, really long time. And then even into my 20s and Um, I remember when I started dating my fiance, we would drink a lot at the beginning, having that those romantic dinners and have fun. But then about two years into our relationship, which was about two and a half years ago, I remember one new year's, I only had four drinks. 
Um, that day I had like two champagnes and maybe two cocktails, but I woke up the next day just depressed and cry- I had cried the whole New Year's Day just because I was so, de- he took me to Key Largo. He's like, let's get out of the house. We're from Miami. So he's like, let's get out of the house. Let's go have fun, have lunch. And I remember sitting at lunch, just crying and being so both upset at myself for drinking like that when I know it doesn't serve me, but then also um, shocked that it made me this depressed the next day. And even the day after that, I remember being at the gym, looking at being on the treadmill and looking at myself in the mirror and seeing something about my eyes that was off. Like my eyes were cloudy. And I was, that was my moment where I was like, that's it. It's, it's like, now I'm really going to reevaluate. I think I went six months. I never, drank more than one cocktail after that. Wow. Um, so, but again, it's not, um, I still think like when we have these conversations about drinking, it's really important what you said in terms of knowing that like life doesn't suddenly get perfect. Um, it's just really about having those other mechanisms. And, um, I would love to talk a little bit later about like the social stuff that you go through and what people can go through at the beginning, because that's what can keep, keep people stuck for a while. Um, when it comes to anxiety and mental health, I am sort of, I'm an anxious person. I've always sort of been like that. Um, many of the women that come to me have that anxiety too. Uh, and like you said, they try to medicate that anxiety with the things that you were just talking about. Um, what are some ways that we can regulate our anxiety specifically with some supplements? I would love if you could talk about your nutritional approach. Um, inst- cause I have a lot of women too, that might graze all day, not eating any protein. Uh, so I would love if you could get into that and talk about sort of the natural, the natural remedies. Yeah. Well, first of all, kind of that new year's day that you described, mm-hmm. um, you know, and I work with so many clients, um, when they're in the midst of that, you know, I hear from them yes. in that moment. And I've had so many of those moments. And, and what I say, and you know, I want to say to those who are listening is it, this is the physiology, like you're feeling the way and the tears and all of that is it's the physical, when you don't feel well physically, you don't feel well emotionally. And when three or five days pass, just, you know, that in and of itself makes the biggest difference. It's like all of a sudden, like, I just, I'm not depressed. I'm not. So it's yes. the coming, it's the coming down from the alcohol and putting the alcohol in our body that we feel emotional. Yes. Um, so that would be my first kind of, you know, response to your question about anxiety is taking alcohol out of my brain and body did leaps and bounds for my anxiety. hundred <laughs> percent. Totally. Um, yes. And just that in and of itself, just having time, another day, another day, another month that I haven't put alcohol in my body has decreased my anxiety really 90%. At I, this, I totally at agree. This. Yeah. So without, you know, kind of doing anything else, just, you know, that. However, with that said, it's, you know, easier said than done, right? (laughs) Exactly. Yes, for sure. (laughs) To to just be like, okay, well, I'm not going to, because that's that thing. If that has been the pattern and we have kind of this anxious physiology, when we take it out, there's a big vacuum now. So now we need to put things in kind of to your question. So Mm -hmm. from a nutrition perspective, you know, my biggest recommendation, especially in the early days of taking alcohol out and working with, uh, you know, regulating anxiety is to eat regularly. And I know it's not like, 
an exciting yes. <laughs> kind of first step. Uh-huh. And, but truly not going longer than four hours um, without eating something and definitely protein. And the reason is, is protein breaks down into amino acids, which is the building block of every cell, tissue, organ, including our brain mm-hmm. <laughs> in the body. And, and our neurotransmitters that I spoke to, the GABA, the serotonin, the dopamine, the raw materials that, that make those, that keep replenishing those and, you know, each day, each month is amino acids. So whether it's animal protein or vegetable protein, it's not, you know, I don't just say this to say it, like. As a nutritionist, this is a healthy thing to say. Yes. Like there, there's actually, again, this is where the rubber meets the road with all of these, diff- whether we're talking physical or emotional, that eating protein on a regular basis is one of the best things you can do if you're in like the thick of cravings from mm-hmm. a physical standpoint. Mm-hmm. Um, and then definitely good, good fats. So good omega-3 fats fish oil, flax seeds, chia seeds, walnuts, walnut oil. Again, those are the raw material. That omega-3 fat feeds the brain. So nutritionally, uh, starting there, staying really hydrated, um, getting minerals in, trace minerals, electrolytes, replenishing. Because again, the body's saying, like, I- I'm off. Like, minerals are low. I-, I don't know. Drink some alcohol. Maybe that'll, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> not getting kind of the direct, we're getting the message. The craving is telling us something. Something's depleted, something's deficient, usually being minerals, amino acids, fatty acids. That can, so start there, and that can make a big difference, ideally without putting alcohol you know, in your body at the same time, like mm-hmm. really coming back to baseline. Um, emotionally, the, uh, a big technique that I um, you know, share, and there's many, but it's a somatic technique, a, a body technique of grounding your body, orienting your body, and um, centering your body, which sounds in theory like, oh, those words sound nice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but they're actually really practical. Mm-hmm. So it's putting both feet on the ground and feel like how you ground your body is you bring your attention to the part of your body that's on the ground. And at you know, any point in time, some part of our body is always on the ground, whether it's our feet, you know, on the airplane floor, yes. <laughs> right? Whether it's our feet on the dirt, um, you know, sitting here right now in my house, I can put my feet on the floor and then feel my butt in the chair. Or if we, you know, lie down on the ground, our back, or we can put our hands on the ground. So wherever, whatever ground surface we're on, bring your attention to that texture of the ground, like the carpet that I'm on now feels different than if I were outside on the dirt, but it's the ground. So I bring my attention and then notice, it, is there tingling in one part of my foot over the other? Is one part of my foot cold or warm? So bringing the attention to the sensations starts to bring kind of my mind into my body. And it, it, it's that anchor. When mm. we feel the ground, we feel anchored, which is what we're trying to do with sugar, with alcohol. It yes. kind of, there's a grounding sensation. There's that we feel kind of anchored. It mm-hmm. doesn't feel good to be up spinning in our head. Yeah. So bring your attention to the ground. It's a, it's a simple resource, but it can be really effective. And then the breath will start to do what it knows to do. We don't need to manipulate our breath or, or try to change it. When we feel the ground and feel anchored, the breath will start to slow and regulate. And then orienting. So we talk about being present, being here in the now. The way to practically do that is orient your senses. Come back to our senses. So what do you see in your space and place? What do you hear right now? What do you smell? What do you taste? Is there a lingering taste of something you ate or drank in your mouth? And then what's touching your skin? Like right now I can feel my sweater touching Mm -hmm. my skin. 
so that brings my mind into present time when I come back and bring attention to my senses in my body again. Um, and it, instead of my mind running back to the past or jumping ahead to the future. So that's orienting to the now. And then centering is um, either our belly or our heart. It's different for different people, different days. Um, but, you know, bringing your attention is it kind of that you can put your hand on your belly or on your heart is kind of that center point of your body, feeling your feet on the ground, orienting, what do you hear, what do you smell? And it can be this, this real practical way to help your system kind of regulate and ground and, and feel present. So there's, you know, lots of different meditation and, and movement things, but I like that somatic resource. It's just a, a out-of-the-gate useful, useful thing to do. And super simple as well. Yeah. Like you can do it anywhere at any time and it's free. Um, which is always available to you. Um, so I love that. Um, something else that I would love to cover is many women out there, especially the ones that come to me might have a distorted relationship with food. Um, maybe they had some disordered eating patterns or something. So if somebody like that comes to you and they might feel restricted, not having the sugar or being, you know, knowing that they might have to eat protein at every meal and maybe seeing that as a rule or something. Um, or they wouldn't know how to f have fun without alcohol. What do you tell them um, when they come to you with that sort of, um, with those thoughts about this plan, even though we know that it would really make a remarkable difference in how they feel? Yeah. So, you know, I, I work with nutrition. Um, oh, and I know you asked about supplements. So I'm happy to answer yes. that too. So, so I work with nutrition. Um, but I would say 80% of my work, we talk about other things. Yes. <laughs> Same. Um, yep. And, and those other things are, what are you really hungry for? Yeah. And what's, what's been malnourished and not fed? And so we work with kind of the metaphor on that. And so often, again, it can be, you know, we want to connect um, with others. We're, we're looking for that bonding, that intimacy. Um, we need to play and have downtime and have that creative outlet, um, have adventure, you know, have kind of that fun, be out in nature. Mm -hmm. Nature is, is a real nourishing nutrient. Um, so the, and purpose, like what's, you know, and so a lot of that often gets diluted, um, at, you know, especially for women in kind of today's culture, we're going through the motions, we're checking the boxes, we've got the to-do list, there's the work, the kids, the, the house, and, um, and so I work a lot with clients on what do you really like? And this takes some time to unwind because a lot of my clients are very good at checking the box. Yes. I, I went to yoga. I did my meditation. I journaled and I still want to drink. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and so it's that, but why are you doing it? So when you do yoga, how do you feel? And we, and, and it's, it's a big question. Yes. And that's, that comes back to some of the somatic piece of when you can feel your feet on the ground and orient with your senses, first of all, like, do you even like what you're doing? And yeah. I say to them at the time, like, it's no skin off my back. It doesn't hurt my feeling. If you don't like yoga, that it's, there's so many other options. But do you like it? Because when we drink and eat sugar, it changes our state. Like we're getting an effect from it. So then when we do these other things, we want to, you know, do you get an effect? Like, do you like it? Do, can you feel your shoulders kind of drop? Mm -hmm. Can you, did your mind kind of calm and, and stop ruminating for a minute when you were doing that meditation or out for that walk? 
So different things, you know, some people can go for a walk and feel really agitated. (laughs) Go for a walk and feel calm. And it's not good or bad. It's just your body is giving you the message of kind of what it needs. And it gives you that message by, I like this. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, and I would do this again. And I look forward to doing it again tomorrow and tuning into that versus like, no, this like my shoulders went up and I feel more tense and I feel more agitated. It's like, great. That's not one of you know, a customized resource for you. And there's nothing wrong with that. So I work a lot with what are we really hungry for? And the only way to kind of know that is to start trying things. It's not in theory, like talking about it and thinking about it. But it's actually doing these practices, because they impact the nervous system, but we're not going to know the way they impact your nervous system until you do them. And then, you know, there's all I can talk about, like how writing like pen to paper Mm. does that how walking when we do a cross crawl. So there's the neuroscience behind all these practices of why they start to shift and regulate the nervous system, but it doesn't mean that it necessarily resonates for everybody all the time. Yes. But it's about finding that thing that you're really craving, that you're really hungry for, movement, connection, intimacy, creativity, nature. Because um, sometimes, you know, there, we could eat all the food in the world, drink all the alcohol in the world. It's not going to feed what is really deficient. Exactly. And I'm, as I'm sure many of the women who come to you, they, they might come to you sort of, you know, frustrated and tired of what they're doing. Obviously, they've hired you and, and they want to feel better. Uh, same with the women that come to me. And they're in this place where they're sort of fed up with themselves. But I try to reframe it for them and let them know that, you know, this is a really beautiful opportunity to really find out amazing things about yourself that you possibly wouldn't have found out otherwise. And some of the women end up like switching jobs or (laughs) completely redecorating their home or reevaluating where they're spending their money. Um, And that's why I have so much gratitude for, you know, women who do this work, because it's like it just gives you a richer life in a sense. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and the food and the alcohol, it, 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 we get to a point where it's not about the food or the alcohol. It's about this deeper piece underneath, which again is, it can be really fun. Yes. It's, it's not a punishment. It's not a deprivation. It's not something's wrong with us or we're not doing enough. It's this curiosity experiment. And especially, you know, I'm, I just think the body is such a, such a fascinating messenger. It is. And looking at it that way of kind of, you know, the bot, being the body whisperer. Like yes. what's the body, how's it communicating with us? Um, and when we, when we beat ourselves up, we're missing, not that I don't beat myself up. Yes, but, <laughs> yeah, but, same. But it's that component of there's real messages in the cravings. And in the, you know, kind of how we're feeling. And so it's, it's learning how to kind of tap in and, and listen, but in a really practical way. Like, I don't want that to sound esoteric and exactly. all like, well, that sounds good, but how do you, I'm very practical. Yes, yes, <laughs> so yes. So it's like, like, I want practical. Um, I, you know, I'm just like, okay, tell me what to do. Like, what is the, what's a mechanism that's going to make me feel better? And so I work with my clients on that, but ultimately it's, not me telling them it's here's a resource you give it a try and let's discover together what the feed what the feedback from your body yeah um what did you think what did you and then it just becomes this fun process yeah customized resource for for different people 
Yeah, because the, you know, sometimes the mind lies, like it tells us thoughts that, you know, maybe we shouldn't believe, but the body doesn't lie. And so that has been really interesting for me of like, okay, get out of your head for a moment and just sort of see what's happening in the body. And that's been really amazing for me to see how wise it really is and how many, um, you know, how much wisdom we can get from it. Um, Which, by the way, is, you know, my ongoing work. So, I yes, yes, to, you know, personally, like I don't sit here and I find it all fascinating. Um, but it's also the head for me, right? It's that intellectual yes. theory is so interesting. But my practice then is embodying it. Exactly. And I work with my own coaches. I work with my own. Um, it's very easy for me to sit here and, and talk. Yes, yes, I'm talking yes. out of my head. Mm-hmm. But to come in and, you know, be like, what's really going on here when I'm really honest and really kind of drop into my body. And cause I, you know, I want to flee from it. That's the anxiety yes, yes. and a way to flee is to constantly think about it and talk about it. And, but to settle in and kind of do the practice. So I'm teaching what well, <laughs> I, I think doing as well. Yeah. And I think that that's so common with teachers and educators. We teach what we need to, what we need to learn. Uh, that's why we're fascinated by it. And, um, you know, same thing with me. That's why I love this stuff, because I go through my own struggles that I sort of have to remember what I tell others as well, which is interesting. Um, but I have many women listening who might be hearing this and think, OK, maybe I should give up alcohol for a time period. Um, but there's so many buts, you know what I mean? But what am I going to do for fun now? But what's my husband going to say? What am I going to do at this wedding? So how do you sort of guide people to navigate their lives, especially when it comes to others, to now living an alcohol-free life, if that's something they want to try? Yeah. My experience um, with the social aspect, and, and again, I was part of a very you know, social group. Um, heavy, many were heavy drinkers. Many drank um, and still drink m- much more than than I ever did. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, what uh, my experience and, and my experience working with clients over the years is, most people, um, you know, when when we're lined, if something isn't already going sideways <laughs> with the relationship with the friendship, but but if if it's a you know aligned friendship. Um, most people are totally cool, even if they are still drinking. Um, and you know, one way that I front loaded it myself and, and some clients will, you know, in the beginning is to say like, I'm doing a whole 30 or, you know, I'm doing this health challenge. And, um, for some reason, our culture really admires that and puts that on a pedestal and people will say, Oh, I've been, I should be doing the same. Like, tell me about it. You know, Mm -hmm. I want to do a 30 so if you front load it like that, that can, if you want some time um, initially, because people respect and, and, you yes. know, and, and saying like, I'm doing this 30 day fitness challenge, nutrition challenge, like it's going really well. And some of the, you know, it's like, I've been sleeping better the last 10 days. And like, I just want to, I want to stick with it. Like, I don't want to break my stride. And, and that's true. And it doesn't have to go into anything about alcohol and drinking and this deep, heavy story. Mm-hmm. Um you know, often what I say now, you know, if asked, which is rare, um, but, you know, if somebody doesn't know me or something, I'll just say, you know, I just made the decision to, you know, I quit. Um, and I, I don't have any big rock bottom dark story around it. Um, but I just, you know, I was drinking like a lot of women around me and I just didn't want to keep drinking like that. And so I'm just honest. And, yeah. and people say, 
oh, because you can see in their eyes, they know what I'm saying. I mean, all you have to do is look around. Exactly. <laughs> How most people. So you can be honest about it or kind of front load it with, you know, with a um, fitness challenge or something. But I found I haven't drank for four years and there's really been about three people in four years who have been a little sideways with me. And, mm. and basically it was like there was already something kind of going on with us. So they used me not that not drinking as an opportunity to do a bit of a, a swipe at me personally. Yes, yes. <laughs> um, but otherwise, you know, I, and I say this a lot when I talk in um, interviews and things, my friendships that were there um, are still there and they've deepened. You know, th the true kind of inner circle and have been very supportive and some drink and, and some don't. But I think it's more the anticipation of it. Yes, and, and, and the also, unknown. The unknown of going into an event, going into a, a you know, activity or something where there's alcohol and it's the anticipation, but the, the reality is, and this is where the benefit of like actually having the experience, but the reality is when we go into it, um, often people, A, don't notice. Yes. If <laughs> you don't say if, anything. If you don't say anything. Yeah. And B, um, if they do, they generally don't really go in in an inquisitive you know, kind of mean way of like, why aren't you drinking? And if they, if they do, then that's really something to like evaluate of like, do you really want to stand here and keep talking with this? Who is this person? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> doing that. But most people, and I don't know if you found the same, um, are generally, they just pretty much leave it alone. They don't want to talk about their own drinking. Well, exactly. Because you not drinking brings up their drinking. And that can be uncomfortable for people sometimes. Yeah. Um, but it, my experience has been exactly what you said is with my true friends, our relationships have deepened. Like I just had my bachelorette party uh, like two weeks, two or three weeks ago. All my friends were drinking. I had half of a margarita and then I was like, all right, I'm good. Like I just, you know, it just doesn't do it for me in that same way. And it, it's just not a big deal. Um, and, pe and people are fine with that. They're fine they're, with it. Yeah. yeah, they're fine. At the beginning, because my identity was so seeped into my party girl, uh, sort of my ways of being, it was like, what? What are you doing? Like, they never expected it from me. Um, but I find that, yeah, people who really love me just don't care. And our relationships have deepened. Um, others, I think, might always have an issue with it because I come from... Um, you know, I'm a chef, I am certified in wine, I got certified in wine in 2011. So they kind of saw me as somebody who could drink wine and pick the wine and be really fancy about it. And now to go to zero, it's been kind of shocking for them. Um, but honestly, if I don't say anything, I feel like now I'm comfortable enough with it where I don't feel the need to say anything. And if I just have my like soda water, it's all good. But before, when I was uncomfortable with it, I would literally go somewhere and sort of announce, hey, guys, I'm not drinking tonight, so don't even ask me, you know, and that makes it so much worse. Uh, <laughs> and people. I was going to say, I actually recommend, you know, to clients early on to, to not um, make a big declaration. Exactly. Um, because I find Agreed. that if I don't spotlight it, other people don't spotlight it. They really don't know. But if, and I think it is our level of comfort. Um, it's like mm -hmm. we have to kind of like explain or justify or defend, yes. but then that opens up, you know, question and debates and conversation. Whereas if, if we don't, you know, we're just like, this is what I'm, don't kind of put an explanation behind it. People kind of don't notice. Yes. So, yeah. And, and something else that I've experienced too, is the fact that, you know, I've had obviously many 
moments where I've had a lot of drinks that have been fun. And I still sort of romanticize that in my head sometimes where I'm like, oh, it would be so fun tonight to just have that. And even on New Year's Eve, I went to dinner with um, my fiance and his mom. And I had a moment where I was like, maybe I should have, you know, a wine or martini. And then I'm like, no, you're not going to feel great tomorrow. Like it just doesn't, you know, and then it's only honestly two minutes or maybe just one minute that I have that sort of romanticism that happens in my head. And then I sort of ground myself and I'm like, wait, you don't do that anymore. (laughs) So um, it was totally fine. And I still had fun. And then I woke up feeling awesome the next day. Yeah, I call it drinking amnesia, and we yes. all have it. Yes. So whether it's a couple of days, couple of months, couple of years, there's that. It would be so nice just to have a glass of wine at yeah. this dinner party or yes. this, and we all have that. Um, but exactly what you said of kind of playing it forward, of you know knowing how it, it plays out because it mm-hmm. always plays out. We have that fantasy, but when we're honest about it, it's not how it what happens exactly. <laughs> and exactly. we have all these past experiences of. It isn't that sophisticated kind of romantic. It's a whole nother scenario, but we, we have amnesia about that. Yes, yes. Totally. <laughs> and, and the truth is, is history repeats itself. It, so, you know, it continues. And, and, and when we, again, are honest about how it plays out, it doesn't play out into fun. Like yes. we say, this will be fun. Yeah. And, you know, yeah, there's the first 20 minutes, mm-hmm. but then it spirals down. And, and like you said, it passes within a couple minutes. We yeah. call it surfing the urge. Like if exactly. we just surf that urge, it peaks and it will peak and it feels intense. But then it, it's like the wave, it comes down and it dissipates. And then it, it doesn't hang on for hours and hours. Every single time. Like yeah. every, it every comes time. back down every, it, the, I don't have the urges all the time, but when I do, it's, I'm always confident that in like 30 seconds, if I can just hold through that, you know, cause that's easier than thinking of three hours, uh, or whatever the duration of whatever it is, is, uh, it's easy for me if I'm just sort of in my body and sort of expect that it might happen sometimes and be cool with it. Yeah. And, you know, and I'm in so many alcohol free kind of secret Facebook groups and I have a community and I work with clients and, and I've never seen, um, any, you know, I've seen many posts where people are just like, I'm going into this unique kind of once in a year event. Like, I don't know how I'm going to go through it without drinking or there's this wedding or there's this work and there's that struggle. And, you know, and they're like, and then they go into it and the report back is always like, I so regret drinking. I yes. wish that I didn't. It yes. wasn't worth it. Yeah. It wasn't worth it. Like we build up the anticipation of like that night or that dinner or that and then I always see on the back end of, I regret it. Yeah. Because it's always that same Groundhog Day. So I, for me, remembering that, and I've had so many of those experiences where it's like, you know, but, but this one dinner, like I need to yes. just drink. And yes. then I would, and then I remember how it comes out. So I don't know if that's helpful. but It it's is, kind absolutely. Of, yeah. It's, it's remembering that. And, and it's so much the anticipation in our mind going into those events and interacting with other people. But when we play it forward, it's just the reality isn't what we anticipate. No, at all. And we make it out, or at least in my experience, I've just made it out to be way worse than it actually is going to be. Like worried, like what am I going to do this day? It doesn't happen anymore. But like at the beginning, what am I going to do going to my really good friend's wedding who I used to drink with all the time and not drink? And 
just riding through it and have, you know, at the end of the night being like, that wasn't a big deal at all. And now I can I wake up in the morning feeling amazing. And I, and it yeah. makes you feel, makes me uh, feel stronger in myself and have a lot more confidence too. Um, knowing that I can get through those things without what I used to do. And the other thing, and you've probably experienced this too, is, is as time goes on, people start pulling us aside saying, how are you, you know, I, I, I'm interested in this. Like I've been worried about my drinking as well. And I I was, I'd be like, I never would have thought you would be somebody who would pull me aside. Um, So in the early days I would get, before I was really doing the coaching, just friends on Facebook, you know, I was posting about it and they would message and they'd say, keep posting about this. Like, this is really making me think. And I'm, I'm actually kind of worried myself. And so that's more like, and I see it with clients too, as the weeks and months go on, that's the reality is people say, this is me. <laughs> yes. I think I want to quit or t- you know take a break as well, more so than anybody hassling or being mean, uh, you know, and giving you a hard time about not drinking. It's actually the opposite. It they start reflecting on themselves. Exactly. Well, I've loved this conversation, and I could probably talk to you for another three hours. Um, but I would love to move into the quick fire questions. It's just three quick questions that I ask. Um, the first one is either concerning this topic or any topic that's been impactful for you, are there any books that have um, just really been insightful on your journey? Oh my goodness. I love books. There are so me many. Too. I um, see them in your, right behind <laughs> you. I have a lot of them. Uh, do you know The Body Keeps the Score oh, by Bessel van der Kolk? Yes. Yeah. I love that so, book. When I quit drinking, I listened to that on audio and just walked around the park um, for hours and hours. And it's kind of, to me, it's kind of like listening to an NPR interview. Of It's just fascinating, the neuroscience about the body and the stress response. So the body keeps the score um, would definitely be one. From an eating perspective, I really like Eating in the Light of the Moon. Oh, I love that book. Yeah, it's Johnson. such a beautiful book. Yeah. So she connects the metaphor and the myth with food. But but it's it's everything because it's the it's the metaphor about you know what are you hungry for hunger, and are yeah. we using alcohol or relationships or food or um, so I like her book a lot oh there's I, I know that I'm going to be like oh I should have mentioned that or <laughs> um, those are two that come to the top of my mind those are really powerful and I don't think I've mentioned them on the show so if the listeners go and get those those are really really amazing books. Um, the body keeps the score was again, another like, Oh my God, this is me. Um, so many enlightening moments. And so was the eating in the light of the moon. You know, one other that, that I'll throw out there too is called, um, taming your outer child. And it's mm-hmm. by a psychologist, um, Susan Anderson. Have you, do you know that? I haven't book? heard of that book, but I'm interested so, now. Um, the outer child is the amygdala, the mm-hmm. part of the brain that, that fight, flight, freeze, um, kind of emotional part of the brain. And then she, she'll talk about the adult self, which is the prefrontal cortex. And then the emotional inner child is that limbic midbrain. Mm. So she explains it really well. Again, the physiology, kind of the neurobiology. And then her um, practical technique is journal writing. So mm. when we put pen to paper, that actually starts to bridge and connect that disconnect from that animal part of our brain, that impulsive part of our brain versus the the analytical, logical prefrontal cortex. So, so many of my clients, um, people I work with, you know, they're like, I get this. I read this stuff. I, I understand it. I've read the books, but why can't I stick with it? And so um, taming the outer child, taming that stress response through journal writing 
um, is a real nice practical technique. And, and I just think how she explains it all is, is pretty fascinating as well. I love that. I'm definitely going to check that book out. Um, the next question I ask is purely selfish just because I'm curious about everyone's answers, but what would be your last meal? Oh my gosh. <laughs> um, Indian food. Oh, yum. I, so good. I just love Indian food. Yeah. Is yeah, there any I, dish in particular that you love? Oh my goodness. I love it all. I love korma and masala. And, yeah. You can't go wrong with um, any of it, right? All of it. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Indian food. And I had it last night. I, I eat it often. So yeah. I just, I love it and don't get sick of it. Yeah. There's so many options and so many flavors. I, I love it too. Um, yeah. And the last question I ask is, and this doesn't have to be anything fancy, just something that has been maybe life-changing for you of the greatest advice that you have been given. Oh, wow. <laughs> you know, I posted this on Instagram yesterday, so it's kind of front of mind. Um, but it's, it's a philosophy of mine is, you know, little things done consistently make the biggest difference. Yes. Yeah. You know, and I, I say that to myself as well. Um, it's not necessarily like the big radical shifts and, and big, like I'm going to clean out the cupboards and do this radical thing. But it's just the little things and one to three things, I, you know, I would say no more than three, um, that you actually enjoy, that are doable, whether you're traveling or it's a holiday season or, you know, you're whatever, that, that you can kind of come back to the way you brush your teeth every day. That's just a regular routine that, that is, is like an input, it's kind of a deposit into your energy bank for um, just helping kind of your stress system, helping your body. And what are those three things that you can do consistently um, that you like and that you notice a shift because it really makes a big difference? And again, very simple. Like maybe it's just staying, you know, adequate water every day. Mm -hmm. That could be one of those things. It, but it's huge to just stay hydrated with water. So those little things, um, I, th I think that's a big yes. philosophy of mine. Yes, I love that because people see you know, people that might be successful in a certain area have made this huge change and they think it happened overnight when in reality it was tiny, just practice, maybe even boring steps over and over and over that then built up to this big change. Um, yeah. And repetition is, you know, there's neuroscience around that of creating routines and creating habits. There's something to repetition, but why are you repeating what you're repeating? So yeah. being conscious about, yes. about what you choose of what those, you know, one to three things are. Yes. Well, I really, really, really appreciate you coming on the show today. Um, I know the listeners are going to get so much out of it. Let us know where we can find you online and how the listeners can work with you if they're interested. Yeah. So uh, grayareadrinkers.com is, is the hub. Um, and I have a online membership community called Nourish. So it's for former gray area drinkers. So people who have made the decision to, to stop drinking um, and don't necessarily resonate with a 12-step program or kind of a traditional, but they want that ongoing conversation and community of others like you and I, who mm -hmm. we've made this decision. And now we want to, you know, it's the what's next around nutrition, around emotions. Um, so like the, the book I just mentioned, Taming Your Outer Child, I bring in guest experts and I brought in the author of that book to um, do a, a live virtual session with the community. So each month I bring in a guest expert and then each month I teach 
um, a, a course. So there's that community. My uh, coaching for one-on-one coaching is on that website. And then I also train other coaches uh, mm. who want to work with other gray area drinkers um, who are coaches themselves, nurses, therapists, social workers. So they already have that professional licensing and certification, but they want the nuance now of this, the gray area drinking. So they are all listed there as well, my hub of, of other coaches. So grayareadrinkers.com. Perfect. And your healthy discoveries on Instagram, right? Yes. Healthy discoveries on Instagram. Healthy discoveries is my company, my corporate training company that I've had since 2001. Perfect. Um, and that that's where my coaching page is. So you can also go to, to healthydiscoveries.com. Okay. I'll be sure to put everything in the show notes, but um, I've been an admirer, of your, an admirer of your work for such a long time. And I really appreciate you coming on. And yeah, like I said, I know that this information is enlightening and I'm, and it makes me so excited that now it's something that's really becoming talked about more. Me too. Me too. And I, I feel like the movement is just continuing to grow, um, kind of rethinking drinking. I don't think everybody needs to quit, but, yes. but now there's a conversation around it. Exactly. Well, thanks, Jolene. Thank you.